Cheer. Once again, we are back. This is the voice of J Culture. You are now listening to the voice of J Culture podcast. You have seen the title, you have clicked on it. So let us get right into this. This week marks the anniversary of Xenoblade Chronicles, not only Xenoblade Chronicles X, but Xenoblade Chronicles 2. So the first week of December is quite a prominent time for the Xeno series and that's what we're going to get into today. That being said, we're going to talk a little bit about Xenoblade Chronicles X on the Wii U and Xenoblade Chronicles 2 on the Switch, my personal experiences with those titles and those games. But I believe that the story should be told not just about the products, about the games, but the people behind those games, that series, that team, those developers and the publishers who they have worked with. I think it's an interesting story. I think it's fascinating. And I do feel it's just as epic as those narratives they portray in those games. Okay, so let's begin. Monolith Soft. Monolith Soft is the name of the company responsible for the Xeno series from Xeno Saga through to Xeno Gears all the way to Xenoblade Chronicles and all the way up to the latest one being Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, uh, a port of a remaster, sorry, a remaster of Xenoblade Chronicles that is that was released earlier this year on the Nintendo Switch. Okay, so developer Tetsuya Takahashi, he was an acclaimed, uh, well, he wasn't acclaimed at the time to be quite fair, but what he was was a game developer working for Nihon Falcon briefly in the 1980s. Okay, now once he did that work there as a graphic designer, he then went on to acclaimed publisher and JRPG production line Squaresoft. Okay, this was in 1990. Okay, so just set your mind back, right? It's the start of a decade, the start of the 90s. This guy, Tatsuya Takahashi, worked briefly in the 80s at Neon Falcon, now he rolls into Squaresoft. Now over at Squaresoft, he gets busy, he gets right in there and he ends up being involved with some of the most acclaimed JRPG classics of all time. We are talking about the likes of Chrono Trigger, we are talking about Final Fantasy 4, which was Final Fantasy 2 in the West, okay? We're talking about Final Fantasy 5, we are talking about Final Fantasy 6, as some of the titles that this man was involved in, okay? So between 1990 next landmark i want to briefly stop on 1995 so now we are in the mid 90s he's been rolling through creating some of these games directly involved in some of them takahashi i apologize for for butchering his name takahashi marries fellow squaresoft employee kyo tanaka who goes by the name soroya saga so kyo tanaka aka soroya saga and takahashi tie the knot right now these two having worked together since final fantasy 5 you know now they marry right you know imagine those conversations at the water cooler well they led to great things very fruitful conversations i'm sure brilliant games the two of them tie the knot and they also get to head up their first big project together at squaresoft what was the project okay it's 1995 Square has already, you know, got classics under their belt at this time. They're doing what they love. 
<laughs> they're loving each other while they're doing what they love and they get to head up the script writing for a little project you might have heard of it or what would go on to be Final Fantasy 7 okay now this is a pivotal moment not only for their careers and their lives but just the gaming industry you know as a whole okay what actually happened was their script was rejected by Squaresoft for being quote unquote too dark and complicated for a Final Fantasy game okay however it was retained as a possible script for a Chrono Trigger 2 this didn't come to be it was eventually then implemented as its own project this project went on to become Xenogears on the PlayStation 1 all right now it's 1998 okay so Takahashi has landed a role as a director with his wife on board okay with his wife on board as the director of Xenogears on the PS1 the game comes out it is critically acclaimed however it cannot hold a candle to the sales and the critical success of Final Fantasy 7 they went in a new direction they went in a different direction with Final Fantasy 7 from the script that him and his wife proposed and pitched to Squaresoft and the rest is history as far as Final Fantasy 7 goes Final Fantasy 7 it went on to sell something like 10.68 million whilst Zeno Gears sold 1.19 million okay so with that being said Square they obviously lent into the Final Fantasy brand even more um, Takahashi uh, at that time made the decision the conscious decision that you know he was not looking to be limited by Square's you know leaning into the Final Fantasy brand he desired to work on other projects he believed that they should be working on other projects and not be you know putting all their eggs in the basket as far as Final Fantasy goes he took the brave step with some colleagues and with his uh, his his wife to leave Squaresoft right they actually left you know that acclaimed publisher and developer they left Squaresoft and they founded their own company Monolith Soft okay and how they went about doing this is that they went to Namco to be you know a subsidiary of Namco right another big company now under Namco this new team right developed the spiritual successor to Xenogears Xenosaga on the PlayStation 2 you might remember the Xenosaga right with them um, Cosmos okay and it's funny actually you know side note that Cosmos is kind of like the unofficial mascot of, of Namco almost to this day okay uh, the scripts okay they worked on it was supposed to be a huge six-part narrative right and it was again done by that same husband and wife duo right on the PS2 okay um, the company also at this time developed Byton Kados for the GameCube, okay? And, you know, development started on that from like 2001 up to 2003. Byton Kados, well received, it's got somewhat of a cult following. However, the sales fell flat, lackluster sales on that title. Now, 2003, okay? None other in this time, none other than Satoru Iwata. Okay, that may that name may or may not be familiar to Satoru Iwata, the, the then CEO of Nintendo of Japan. Okay, stepped in with an offer to collaborate with Namco slash Monolith Soft and Nintendo for them to develop a GameCube version of the Mother slash Earthbound 
series okay they had a pitch the pitch i think it was rejected by iwata-san they didn't go with it as we know we haven't had a mother earthbound game <laughs> and that's an ongoing thing with um nintendo however from 1999 up till 2006 monolith developed brilliant titles with unique fun and surprising gameplay all the while remaining niche though right with subpar sales okay so they, they still went on to develop brilliant games but they weren't able to reach that tipping point that critical mass where they enjoyed uh commercial success off of these titles now this here was the low here they've branched off from square enix right in the 90s they've gone with namco they've, they've done it in the name of you know creative control however whilst they've made great games the sales were not matching morale is at an all time low i can only imagine the stress they were under okay and also at this time just to compound it namco merged with bandai right so you know we all know them now as bandai namco now with this merger came you know less creative control over their project and this was the principle that this whole studio was founded upon this is the reason why they left squaresoft to begin with and here they are now over at namco with less and less creative control and they don't really have and they have less and less of a leg to stand on because their projects are not commercially uh, successful or they're subpar okay now monolith they sought to to hold on to this creative control okay so what happened was <laughs> this is around the time of the big acquisition okay i mentioned satoru or satoru uwata please forgive me for butchering these names again and he was the then ceo of nintendo at the time well nintendo came back in they came back in and they actually bought 80% of the monolith stocks, right, from uh, then Bandai Namco, okay? Now, the deal was that they're going to buy out uh, monolith soft in return for exclusive titles on Nintendo platforms, right, on their home consoles and their uh, portable consoles, okay? Through this deal came the likes of, you know, Endless Frontier, uh, Dragon Ball Z, Attack of the Saiyans, if you remember that, Soma Bringer, Disaster Day of Crisis, and a small title you might have heard of, Super Smash Bros. Brawl, alright? Now, Takahashi and the team, you know, after, you know, going through, they've bounced around, they've, now, they've been with three separate developers, okay? And they've had varying levels of success, but they still dreamt of delivering a great RPG, Okay, it was still a dream that they held on to and one that they wanted to see through. Around 2006, okay, Takahashi is commuting on a train and, you know, you just get those epiphanies, those little moments of brilliance where just an idea will just hit your head. Okay, well, a spark of lightning hit his head. He's commuting on a train and he thought about a world. Because one thing I've noticed, you know, from um, reading up on how, you know, he develops games and how the team develop games, they take the process of they create a world. They think about the world first, and then they think about the characters who will inhabit that world, and then they think about the possible conflicts between those characters in the world. So this is why the worlds in the Xeno series are so memorable, because they lead with that. So it makes sense. So I'm seeing that matched up here with his account of how this game that I'm about to mention took shape. So he's commuting on the train, and he thinks about a world which is comprised of 
people, hear this, living on colossal gods, okay? He shared his ideas with his colleagues, right? And they went out, got some supplies on some Blue Peter thing, and they created a diorama mock-up, right? And this mock-up, this little diagram, this diorama that they created, um, you know, big enough to fit on a desk, comprised of two towering titles, titans, sorry, two towering titans, right? And these gods... Uh, where basically the world where you know the inhabitants lived on the backs of these huge um, titans this might sound familiar I think I'm, I think you know where I'm going with this this is how Xenoblade Chronicles first formed this is the embryonic stages of Xenoblade Chronicles at, at its initial stages it was called Monado beginning of the world in 2017 now some of you know about you know there's there's Greek uh, philosophy pertaining to the monad as something to look look into so if you understand you know the philosophy of the monad and the ether and stuff like this you will understand just how interesting and insane uh the zeno series actually is that they incorporate this stuff into their law and world building and story right so it was called monado beginning of the world early 2007 okay uh, the project now it began without re restraint because Nintendo were very um, on in sync with Monolith Soft in terms of allowing them to have the creative control and be you know unrestrained in their creative vision. Right? Xenoblade Chronicles 2 released in 2010, and it was championed by Iwata, the then uh, CEO of Nintendo. He has since passed on. He is one of the greats of the gaming industry. And, you know, in a very typically cool Iwata gesture, it was the man himself who championed the idea of uh, moving away from the title of Monado, Beginning of the World, and using the Zeno moniker, right, as a way to honor Takahashi's work going all the way back uh, to the 90s. You know through Zeno sagas on the PS2 and Zeno Gears. So there we have it. We now had the name Xenoblade Chronicles, and it has since gone down as a masterpiece. Um, and you know, up until this point, you've got a story of you know people really going for what they believe in, really um, striving for creative control, and seeing through a vision bouncing around between three massive developers in Square, uh, Namco, then uh, Bandai Namco, and Nintendo, okay? That being said, this was all in Japan, okay? This was all happening in Japan as far as the release goes of Xenoblade Chronicles. Now, there was a huge uh, fan community campaign that went by the name of Operation Windfall, Rainfall, sorry. So Operation Rainfall, like I said, was a fan campaign, and that was... Um, it had the objective of bringing Xenoblade Chronicles, The Last Story, and Pandora's Tower to be localized and released in the Western regions. Uh, I think Nintendo of America turned it down, and if I'm not wrong, it was Nintendo UK, I think, who actually made it happen. So we did eventually get Xenoblade Chronicles released into the West thanks to Operation Winf uh, Rainfall. I keep saying Windfall, I don't know where. Operation Rainfall. The game released in the West again to more critical and commercial success in fact selling even more than it did in japan right 
So Xenoblade Chronicles has sold more in the West than it did in its native um, JRPG, RPG loving home territory. Okay, now on the back of this commercial and critical success, Monolith were, op- were able, sorry, to open more studios, right? They then worked on more titles, Animal Crossing series, Pikmin 3, Zelda Link Between Worlds on the successful 3DS, Splatoon, which was a, a new IP, the first in a long time that Nintendo made, that was successful on a non-successful console. Splatoon 2, successful on a very successful uh, console in the Switch. Animal Crossing New Horizons, which continue to break and shatter all kinds of sales record. These are the games that Monolith Soft were heavily involved in, okay? And we won't even mention the small titles like The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, okay? In 2011, off the back of this, Nintendo bought the remaining Monolith stock, right? Monolith Soft stock from Bandai Namco, okay? Uh, Monolith around about this time, this is when they were releasing, you know, uh, Project X Zone, which was uh, a game that I love. It's a crossover title collabing with Capcom, Namco, Sega, with guest appearances from these respective companies, characters, and mascots. Okay, so at this time now, you can see that Monolith stuff, they are building up momentum after that load that they had uh, with um, Bandai Namco. We now bring ourselves to E3 2014 and Monolith reveals Xenoblade Chronicles X, which was the spiritual successor to Xenoblade Chronicles, this time with a strong emphasis on exploration. We mentioned earlier the, the, the way that they lean on world building and environment, right? Now, Xenoblade Chronicles X to me is my top two or three um, favorite slash best, one that I'm most impressed with, open world ever made in a video game. It's, it's right up there with, you know, your Breath of the Wilds. I think that Planet Mirror is done so well as, a, as an environment, I actually miss it like it is a real place that you can go to. It is astonishing, right? Even when I look back on it now, I still can't believe that you know what they were able to achieve with that game there. So they release, they start, they reveal, sorry, um, Xenoblade Chronicles X at E3 in 2014. Now, whilst they are doing that, they start laying the foundation for what would become eventually Xenoblade Chronicles 2 for Nintendo's then Project NX. Right? This was before the Switch. This was when. Uh, we didn't know what Nintendo's next system would be. It was it was codenamed Project NX. And around this time, because of the success that Monolith Soft had now had, remember, they were able to open more studios. So even whilst they were still developing and revealing Xenoblade Chronicles X, they laid the groundwork for Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was always done in mind for Nintendo's next system. And the emphasis on this would be placed back on narrative just like it was with the original Xenoblade Chronicles, okay? Xenoblade Chronicles X only happened to go and release to, cri- to critical and commercial success, despite being on a console with a very low install base. Xenoblade Chronicles X is probably the best game on the Wii U, probably the best Wii U exclusive of all time. Now, Monolith Studio was called upon, they couldn't even celebrate the success of that too much because they had to then be called up by Nintendo to, you know, get stuck into developing a small title. You know, it's hardly worth mentioning, but I'm going to throw it in here. It goes by the name of The Legend of Zelda 
Breath of the Wild. So let's just think about it for a second. They've developed, they've revealed, released, and you know, put out into the world Xenoblade Chronicles X and all that entails with its development of that huge sprawling world. And you know, just it's a giant of a game, right? And they couldn't even rest on their laurels because straight away they had to get stuck into developing Nintendo's biggest ever game of all time in terms of resources that they put into it, which was The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Oh, and at the same time, um, Xenoblade Chronicles uh, 2, Xenoblade Chronicles 3DS port, and Project X Zone 2. Monoliths off at this point, they were flourishing, okay? They've had certified bona fide masterpieces under the belt, along with this time the commercial success to go with it. All right, so you fast forward now to late 2016, okay? They went radio silent for a while, but late 2016, okay, Nintendo revealed the then Project NX as the Nintendo Switch, okay? With Monolith Soft leading the charge on day one of the Switch's life, right? March 2017 with The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, a game which quite frankly would not be possible without uh, Monolith Soft's particular mastery of open world game design so you know when you're looking at breath of the wild and you know the best thing about breath of the wild is the environment the exploration right that was almost completely solely down to the expertise of monolith soft okay splatoon 2 but a few months and weeks later right which is still a top 10 game for the uh, successful nintendo switch as far as software sales and then they and this was in the same year okay so they banged with breath of the wild they banged again with um Splatoon 2 and then to round off the year what did they go and do they only went and dropped Xenoblade Chronicles 2 okay which just capped off a remarkable year for Monolith Soft so in one year Breath of the Wild one of the most critically acclaimed games of all time Splatoon 2 and then Xenoblade Chronicles 2 okay which then Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was their best-selling game ever best-selling game of all time for the studios so what happened after this well what you would expect they opened more studios they produced more titles you're talking about the expansion of xenoblade chronicles 2 which is Torna, the golden country which is a whole game in and of its own right you're talking about xenoblade chronicles definitive edition which is a remaster of that original xenoblade chronicles game which came out earlier this year okay an all new title heavily rumored to be in development right which they are now hiring for okay an rpg project uh, project and a rumored oh sorry not rumored it's a confirmed zelda title okay plus their staff has now been steadily growing to upwards of 240 employees and that is saying something when you're thinking that xenoblade chronicles 2 was developed with only about 40 or so people of their b team okay because their a team was out working with uh nintendo on breath of the wild okay um yeah yeah it's a very intriguing story very um very how can i say i'm struggling for words here we're just going to go with intriguing okay um it's epic it's epic as much as any of the stories that they tell in their narratives in the game narratives as i said earlier and monolith as a company you know they were founded on jrpg classics right and it's, it's it's just it's just really amazing when you're talking about you know takahashi and his wife and you know there was all kinds of things even going between the two of them like you know they, they i think they fired each other from different projects but i think that was more so a workaround for like taxes and stuff like that but you know it's a story of you know just two employees from square 
making their own studio, making their own games on their time on their own terms, not compromising their creative vision. It's been epic, man. And I thought it was worthy to, you know, shine a light on the developers of this these series and these games um, on their fifth and third year anniversaries respectively for the likes of Xenoblade Chronicles X on the Wii U and Xenoblade Chronicles 2 on the Nintendo Switch. So we will leave it here. Thank you. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you were here with me and trust me, I appreciate that. So with that being said, we will wrap it up here. Thank you as ever. Uh, your feedback is golden. You make the show great. So please hit me up on socials, Twitch. Okay. So it's a uh, twitch.tv forward slash j underscore culture you can catch us there to be playing games socials at j culture at fractal muse i will put all of that there in the show descriptions you lot please look after yourself and it's all love man all right safe <laughs>